Well, good day again. If you've got your Bibles open to that passage, then definitely keep it open. Have a read along with me. Make sure I'm not telling you anything that's not there. Let me pray, because I believe that God hears our prayers and will help us understand his word better. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that your word is here for us to read. Our Lord, please help me speak clearly and not nonsense. Uh, Lord, I don't know where everyone's in, uh, where everyone is at at this point tonight, but you do, and you brought them here. So I pray that they they hear well. Amen. So do you do you expect justice to be done? Do we want justice? I want justice. I was in the army for eight years, and I didn't have to go anywhere too too crazy. But it really doesn't take that much a look at the world, does it? Before. You, you kind of want things to be fixed, right? Who's going to bring those people to, to account? Do you want the things in the world that are wrong to be set right? But it's not just the big things in the world, is it? it's also the little things. Uh, but the, the thing I've noticed is that I kind of want to keep justice as a thing I want to, want to be done, but not so much as it gets closer and closer and closer to me. I want justice to be done for that war. I want justice to be done for terrorism, for the drug dealers, for abusive people, for angry people, for that driver, the greedy people. Uh, you know, the closer it gets to me, the more I, I, I kind of feel like there's a bubble here that I, I, you know, I'm okay with me, right? I don't need justice. I'm, I'm pretty good. I notice this most when I'm driving. I, I don't know if anyone's driven in Sydney before. Um, it's quite an experience. Um, I see what other people do, do and how selfish they are on the road. And I scream out for justice, sometimes out loud. <laughs> but I'm not really screaming out for justice when, uh, when I look down and I'm going a little bit fast. Or when I accidentally cut someone off. Or when I cross a line, go through a sort of a rouge orange light i don't want the cops i don't want justice so we kind of like the idea of justice but we kind of like to draw a line where justice needs to stop where's your line where's your line we're going to focus on some words of jesus as he tells a story and he explains what it takes to be right with god what it takes to be accepted by God. And he says this right after uh, another story he's told about the justice of God that will come. He says, God is like a judge and he will come and he will bring about God's justice. Where's God's line, do you think? He says, it's coming. Be ready. But we don't just want to be ready, do we? We want to be safe. We want to be safe. Apparently you guys have tsunamis around here or could have a tsunami. Is that true? Okay. You get the idea. Okay, yeah. That's contextual fail. That's okay. But you get the idea. If a tsunami is coming, you want to be safe, don't you? If you know there's a tsunami coming, you don't want to just be ready. You want to be safe. And when God's judgment comes, when that perfect justice happens will you be safe how do we know whether we're 
making the grade. And we, we kind of measure ourselves, don't we? You know, if I want to say how tall I am, I, I don't get a heap of kids on stage and tell you I'm tall because it's about the only way it's going to happen. I have to measure myself in, you know, an approved me- unit of measure, right? A metre or a centimetre. How good are you? Do you measure up to what it takes to be safe? Jesus told a story about two men, two really, really different men. One was really good and one was really bad. Let me retell that to give you a bit of an idea of what these two guys were like. The good man. He's the sort of person who gave money to charity. He gave money to the church. He's the sort of guy that would donate blood, serve at the local soup kitchen. Maybe he did this just after he uh, visited his elderly grandmother. He's a good guy. He was never violent. He was faithful to his wife and he didn't steal or take anything that wasn't his. He's the sort of guy that might help you change your tire on your car. This guy is morally upright. And he is religiously devout. He is seriously impressive. The second guy. Well, the second man was a vile man. He, he, you know, the guy at your fifth birthday party was greedy and flogged all the all the fairy bread. <laughs> this is him grown up. He's a bully and he's a mean guy. He steals from his uh, neighbours. He steals from his family. He's the abusive driver. He's the tax avoider. He's the charlatan that sells land he doesn't own. He's the guy that doesn't care how many people he pushes down because he just wants to serve himself. This guy is morally corrupt. I'm trying to give you a picture of what these guys were like. To those who listen to this story. They are polar opposites. They're not degrees of good. The first guy you'd trust with your kids. The second guy, if you lived in your street, you'd think about moving suburbs. And Jesus told a story where these two guys rocked up to the temple to pray at the very same time. Would have been quite a scene. Let's have a read. So if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 18... We're going to start at verse 10. Two men, says Jesus, went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. There's no secret code here. Jesus is painting these guys exactly as they are, and they know it too. One guy's morally upright, the other guy's a scumbag. The tax collector's a morally bankrupt guy. But it's what Jesus says next that's surprising. Have a look at verse 14. I tell you, this one, that's the tax collector, went down to his house justified 
rather than the other. This one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Jesus says that lying, thieving, scumbag tax collector was declared acceptable to God rather than the pious, religious, upright guy. You can imagine what the, the, the people around would have said. Uh, excuse me, Jesus. Um, is there a chance you may have just switched the names? Did you get it wrong? Surely the first guy, the really morally upright guy, is the guy, well, he deserved to be acceptable, didn't he? Surely it must count for something. Can you feel that? Why would God say this? Why would Jesus say that God would accept these guys in this order? Does it not leave you with the question, is God unjust? Have you ever wondered that? Let's have another look at those two prayers. The first guy, the Pharisee. He attributes what he has to God, sure. But his unit of measure is the people around him. His obedience to God, he thought made him worthy. He thought that's what it was. It was something in him. He looked at himself and said, that makes me right with you. The tax collector, on the other hand, he arrives, well, with nothing really, does he? He doesn't have any stories about how good he's been. He doesn't have any stories about uh, how upright and, and religiously devout he's been. He has nothing. You know how some people say that God is a crutch? You've heard that? It's the interactive part. Yep, two nods. Cool. This guy, this tax collector, knows he doesn't have a limp. He doesn't need a crutch. He needs a rescue. An absolute 100% rescue. He says, I know what I deserve. You're the perfect judge. Your justice is perfect. I don't want that. In a sense, he was asking for something very unjust, wasn't he? In his humility, the tax collector found freedom to admit his failings. The Pharisee didn't have that freedom because his measure of what made him acceptable to God revolved around the good in him. But we do kind of, I read this and I expect them to be judged based on their behaviour, at least to some degree, surely. So to unpack that, let's have a little look at what the Bible says, excuse me, about what makes us acceptable to God. This will come up on the screen. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says this. No one is righteous, not even one. Not even one. Not me, not you. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All of us have turned away. Think about it like a a deep, slippery, muddy pit. And that's where we all are. You can scramble your way to the top of the pile. 
You can scrape as much mud off you as you as you can. You're still in the pit, and you're just a little bit less muddy than the guy underneath you. Our good is just not good enough. And it's time to sort of dispel a myth in a way. See, we might be impressive when we compare ourselves to other people. Like I could compare myself to kids and look tall. But when we compare ourselves with God, with the standard that God requires of us, we don't even, we don't even register on the scale. We don't measure up. We don't need help. We need saving. So how can anybody, how can anybody be justified? How can anyone be found right with God? Because, as we've all said, we want justice, right? On what grounds... Can God declare you justified and not condemned? He can on the grounds that Jesus, who was righteous, who never turned away, he lived in perfect obedience. Unlike us, he was the one who humbled himself that he might take the punishment that we deserve. Let's have a look at 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ, that is Jesus, suffered for sins, that is our rebellion against God, once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but being made alive in the spiritual realm. I mention this because that's what's at stake here. Life. Life is at stake. Without being justified, without being found acceptable to God, There is no life. Justice must be done. And if we trust in ourselves, whether by by anything we have in ourselves, there is no life. It's just no easy way to say it. The Pharisee was a, a fine example of a human being in one way. But it was just a proud example because he was looking at himself. Let's have a look at verse 9. We're going to rewind a little bit to the top of the story and see how Luke, the author of this uh, story here, um, introduces Jesus' uh, parable. In verse 9 he says, He also told this parable, the one we just read, to some who trusted them to themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. Jesus was speaking to the people who trusted in themselves. These people weren't make-believe people. These people thought that on the balance of things, compared to other people, they were good enough. Have you ever felt that? On the balance of things, you're probably pretty good. I don't hurt people. I give to charity. Drop some money in the salvos tin. Sounds good, doesn't it? But have a look at this Pharisee. He is so much better than that. He is so much better than that. And he walked away not right 
with God. Sounds kind of light when we read the rest of 14. Have a look at it. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Does it sound a bit light to be humbled? Humbled, it's not that bad. Humbled before a person, well, it's embarrassing. Humbled before the living God, that's terrifying. But to be exalted in the same setting, man, that's amazing. That is really amazing. Do you want that? If you exalt yourself like the the Pharisee did, you're going to be humbled. Now, I left one of those things. Can I have that uh, a card for your uh, EV church? Uh, it's not that one. That's all right. Have a look at the card. There's a little business card. No, that's that's good. That's Easter. We should go to that. There's a card that comes with the. A business card for EV Church here, the Uni Church, and it says on it, "It's all about Jesus." Is that right? It says that. Yeah, it is all about Jesus, and it says just underneath that, "We are convinced that we are not perfect," or words to that effect. That's who we are. Why can we say that? It's because we trust in Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And Jesus, as he was telling this very, very story, right in front of these people who trusted in themselves, was days away, days away, from willingly walking to his own death for crimes. Crimes that weren't his, they were ours. That's the gospel. That's why we have hope. That's why, Jesus, that's why God can offer us mercy in his justice. It's a way of being dragged out of that muddy pit. That day that Jesus speaks of, where there was two guys, one went home right before God. But it didn't have to be that way. It could have been two guys, could it not? It could have been two guys who looked to God and said, I have nothing. I need your help. And tonight's no different. Tonight we all walked in here and I don't know where everyone stands. But tonight is no different. You can walk away. You can walk away just like the Pharisee, or you can walk away just like the tax collector. You can walk away confident in yourself, or you can walk away justified, found acceptable to God. Not because you're awesome, and even if you are, you still need God's mercy. So it really just leaves me with one question. How are you going to leave this room? What are you going to do tonight? I said this message is a message that doesn't, 
It doesn't beg you to just sort of hang around and think about it forever. It demands that you answer it. If you shake yourself up a little bit tonight and think about it, how will you leave this room? There was two guys and they both could have left acceptable to God. Will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you be dragged out of that pit? Because you are not going to get clean in there by yourself. Will you have the courage to be humble and ask God for help? The tax collector's prayer was simple, wasn't it? Really simple. I'm going to pray in a minute. I'd really love it if you join me. It's going to be nice and simple too. Because it's not how clever we are, it's not how good we are, it's not how fancy we are. It's what we ask of God and the confidence that he will give it. So I'm going to ask God in a moment to hear us as we admit that we've been ruling our own lives without him. And then I'm going to ask simply that he gives us the mercy that he promises in Jesus. I'm going to pray this in a moment. And if you would like to, if you think there's any truth in what I've said, then please echo this in your heart. Okay? Let's pray. It'd be great if everyone just bowed their heads and we'll pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your word in a way that we can understand it. We are sorry because we know we... We have lived our own way. We have chosen to live our own way and we have just looked to ourselves. Please, please have mercy. Please give us that life that Jesus offered. Amen.